Chapter 13 of The Romance of Modern Electricity. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Romance of Modern Electricity by Charles R. Gibson. Chapter 13 Further Applications of Electricity. An immense lift for an electromagnet. Electricity gives gas a helping hand. Electricity on board a man-of-war. A note on Guy Fawkes. Blasting on a grand scale. Torpedoes. Recording the velocity of projectiles. Electric clocks. An electric log. Paradoxes of electricity. Electrocution. Quick news of the Battle of Tel el-Kabir. The untrustworthy telephone. Can fogs be dispelled? In steel and ironworks, large electromagnets have recently been brought into use for lifting heavy metal plates and so forth. Instead of fixing a chain and hooks around the plate, the crane merely carries a large electromagnet at the end of its wire rope or chain, and this magnet attracts the plate and holds onto it as long as the current is kept switched on to the magnet. In the accompanying illustration, a large magnet is shown lifting a heavy metal casting, weighing about three tons, and on the same page may be seen an ordinary kitchen poker lifting scissors and keys, which serves to show the principle. Electricity and gas are strong rivals as illuminants, but we sometimes find electricity giving gas a helping hand. When a large chandelier is out of easy reach and cannot be conveniently lighted by a taper, it is only necessary to arrange a short gap for an electric current to spark across and to arrange that when the gas is turned on, the electric current is also momentarily switched on and the gas thus ignited by the spark. This simple but useful application dates back to 1839, at which time few practical applications of electricity had been made. Indeed, I was rather surprised the other day, on picking up a science book, published in London in 1840, to find the following statement, quote, It must be allowed that the case has not been the same with electricity as with magnetism. The latter, by the invention of the magnetic needle, has served to render navigation more secure and to discover the new world a source of new riches, new wants, and of new evils to the old one. But electricity has not yet produced anything of so much importance to mankind and to the arts if we accept the analogy now proved between the electric fire and lightning, an analogy which has given rise to a pretty sure preservative from the effects of that dreadful meteor. For, in regard to the cures affected by electricity, it must be acknowledged that they are either rare or not well ascertained. End quote. What benefits we have reaped from the applications of electricity during the years that have passed since the above lines were first penned. A steamer equipped with a powerful electric searchlight is at a great advantage in many ways. We may take as an illustration an incident which happened some years ago on a British man-of-war and may have been repeated often since the occasion referred to. The ship was steaming along on a very dark night when the cry was raised of, Man overboard! It is not difficult to realize 
the horror of those on board, when thinking of the speed the vessel was making and the dense blackness of the night. How many sailors are lost every year, even from slow-going vessels, because it is impossible to find the whereabouts of the lost man in the darkness. In the case of this British warship, two of her officers happened to see the sailor fall off the rigging, and both immediately dived into the water to the poor man's rescue. The great searchlight at once scanned the water, and soon revealed the three men clinging to a life-boy. The searchlight kept them in view, while the steamer slowed down and swung round, so that the lifeboat was able to go straight to the men in the water, and it was reported that within six minutes the men were saved, the lifeboat hoisted, and the great ship once more on her way. In time of war, electricity now plays a very prominent part, not only as a carrier of intelligence, but as a prompt and sure assistant in the firing of guns and the exploding of distant mines. It is even made possible for the captain of a large warship to fire a whole broadside simultaneously, the commanding officer being able to see from instruments in his conning tower when all the guns are set and ready. Not only may submarine mines be exploded electrically by making a small platinum wire red-hot, but much the same may be done on land. During the Russo-Japanese War, we saw what a terrible disaster may be brought about by the enemy undermining a whole roadway, and then by electrical means firing the mine from any distance at the moment their opponents have reached the prepared spot, and in this heartless fashion practically annihilating a whole regiment. It is very well that Guy Fawkes was born too early to obtain assistance from electricity in the firing of explosives, or he and his friends might have succeeded in evading suspicion in connection with the vault they rented under the House of Lords. Having once secreted the thirty-six barrels of gunpowder unnoticed, they could have left the store closed, knowing that they would be able to fire the explosives from their adjoining house at the moment when Parliament had assembled. Even the anonymous and vague letter of warning might have failed, for it was only when the Lord Chamberlain saw this very tall and desperate fellow in charge of the vaults that his suspicions were really aroused. Electricity has made it possible to fire very large blasts for clearing away rocks and so forth. To form an adequate conception of the application of electricity, it is worthwhile picturing the great blasting operations which took place some twenty years ago in America in the destruction of Flood Rock in the East River near New York. About nine acres of solid rock were undermined and honeycombed, and over thirteen hundred holes were drilled, in which were placed the explosives. Each dynamite cartridge was provided with an electric fuse, and a wire was run out and connected to a number of fuses in one particular section, and then back to the controlling station again, each section being arranged in this way. Then the ends of the leading-out wires were all brought together and placed in a vessel of mercury, while the ends of all the leading-in wires were placed in a second vessel of mercury. It only remained now to take a powerful battery and place one wire in the mercury at the leading-out ends and the other wire in the mercury at the leading-in ends, thus completing the circuit and allowing the current to fly out to all these fuses in the dynamite cartridges, causing the simultaneous explosion 
of over 300,000 pounds weight of dynamite and so forth, and blowing up many thousands of tons of solid rock. The ordinary torpedo of naval warfare is purely mechanical and has no connection with electricity, but is propelled by compressed air, furnishing the necessary power to its engines. For harbor defense work, electricity has been called into the service of the torpedo, as in the Sims Edison torpedo, in which the power is conveyed by means of electricity from a dynamo on land or on board a ship. But the disadvantage is a long trailing cable connecting the dynamo with small electromotors in the torpedo. It has been suggested to control the steering gear of torpedoes by means of ether waves, as used in wireless telegraphy. This has been found quite possible, and several patents have been taken out in this connection. Be it noted that the ether waves do not convey the propelling power, as some writers have set forth, but merely operate upon a coherer, as in a wireless telegraph receiver, switching off and on the local power to the differential gear, controlling the steering apparatus. Electricity enables us to measure the speed at which projectiles are flying. An electrical contact may be placed at any point in the path of a projectile, so that the exact fraction of a second at which it passed this point may be recorded on a chronograph, as will be described in connection with electricity in the observatory. A second contact maker placed at any given distance will note the time at which the projectile passes it, and in this way the time taken to travel from one point to the other has been recorded. It is even possible to place two contacts at different parts in the bore of a gun, and thus find the velocity of the projectile before it leaves the mouth of the projector, and the time noted may be correctly measured to one five-hundredth part of a second. Electricity now aids in the measuring of time for everyday requirements, either in controlling the clock or in propelling it. In the former, the swing of the pendulum is merely hastened or retarded by an electric impulse sent out every second by a standard clock inside which a magnet swings attached to the bob of the pendulum. In the latest form of electrically driven clocks, there is merely a dial with an electromagnet and lever operating a toothed or ratchet wheel, moving forward the minute hand of the clock one step at each half minute, the hour hand being geared to this in the ordinary way. An electric impulse is received by the electromagnet at every half minute through a large standard clock, which closes a circuit once every 30 seconds. It does seem rather ridiculous that we should be content to have in every city a multitude of little pieces of somewhat complicated mechanism, each little item trying to do exactly the same as its neighbor, and each requiring individual attention, supplying it with a store of energy once daily or weekly, while some skill is required to specially regulate each individual clock. Why not have one standard clock for every city, checked by the local or nearest observatory, and closing at the end of each half-minute an electric contact, allowing current to pass out to all the dials and thus move their respective hands forward one half-minute. It is even possible to have such dials fitted with a wireless coherer to catch ether waves and switch off and on a local battery in the clock to operate its hands. I fear that any public clocks of this kind 
might pick up wireless telegraph messages and become rather eccentric in their behavior. One could imagine a clock coming within the influence of waves intended for a wireless station, and if the message was a lengthy one, the public, on consulting the wireless clock, would think the time was literally flying. Here again, these ether waves do not drive the clock, but merely control the driving power in the clock. The uses to which the transmission of power by electricity may be put are legion. For instance, one may place the various parts of a large organ in any desired positions in a large hall or cathedral, keeping the echo organ at quite a distance from the other parts, while the keyboard may be put in any convenient place. In depressing the organ keys, the organist merely makes electrical contacts, thus allowing current to pass to the different electromagnets opening the pipes. Electric pianos have also been constructed so that a pianist might perform from any distance, but this does not lend itself to any very practical use, more especially as we now have so many clever automatic pianolas, and so forth. On board ship, the log may be taken by electricity. The electric log consists of a fly or screw which is trailed after the ship and revolves in proportion to the speed at which the ship is traveling. This revolving screw is arranged to make an electric contact, thus working an indicator or making a pen move over a revolving drum after the fashion of the wind velocity instruments to be described in the chapter on electricity in the observatory. A rather curious application of electricity is to be found in the hairdresser's establishment. He makes use of electricity either to destroy the roots of superfluous hairs or to stimulate the growth of the hair. This may seem rather paradoxical, but what works in greater contrasts than electricity? It sounds an alarm at the outburst of fire and thus protects from danger both lives and property, but it also, most deathly, fires the submarine mine and sends a whole crew to the bottom of the ocean, sinking, along with them, a man-of-war costing, perhaps, a million golden sovereigns. Again, in the hands of the physicians, it will cure and save life, but in the hands of the executioner, it will injure and kill. This last-mentioned application of electricity, which is now the method of executing the death penalty in the United States, has doubtless been somewhat unsatisfactory, owing to a restriction that the current used must not distort or disfigure the body of the criminal. In some cases, death has not been instantaneous, whereas, but for the restriction just mentioned, it could easily have been made absolutely sure that death would ensue before the nerves could communicate any sense of pain to the brain. Given a free hand, an electrocution would be the most humane method. What if the lifeless body were disfigured, or even totally cremated by the electric current? Surely this would be infinitely better than our present barbarous method of carrying out the death penalty in these islands. Let us pass from this depressing subject to that of warfare. War must appear to all thinking people as a barbarous relic of the past, entailing the destruction of thousands of innocent lives over some national quarrel, based, it may be, on some misunderstanding. But even in warfare, we may find electricity performing many peaceful as well as destructive acts. All modern armies have their own telegraph experts, and it was found possible 
during the British operations in Egypt in 1882 to keep the advance guard not only in constant communication with the headquarters, but with Great Britain itself. By this means, the news of the victory of Tel el-Kabir was telegraphed from the battlefield to the late Queen Victoria, and her congratulations were received in reply within three-quarters of an hour after the victory was won. If anyone had spoken of sending photographs by telegraph a few years ago, we should have thought the suggestion was made merely as a jest. It is impossible to send the actual photographs along the wire, but reproductions are made at the distant place. The photograph at the sending end is transparent and controls a beam of light passing through it. The varying light affects a selenium cell, causing it to alter its resistance to an electric current passing through it. The resulting current passes out to the distant station, where it controls another beam or pencil of light, which builds up a reproduction of the transmitting photograph. Full details are given in The Romance of Modern Photography. Before closing this chapter, which does not attempt to include all the applications of electricity, I should like to mention two more. I have repeatedly read that the microphone, which is simply a sensitive telephone, is used by medical men as a delicate stethoscope. But, from experiments I made in this connection many years ago, on behalf of some medical men, I found that the sounds set up by every slight variation of the current in the microphone were a great disadvantage. Even a very clever mechanical stethoscope made on the continent, while magnifying the sounds greatly, so that one can hear a friend's heartbeat like a sledgehammer, even through his overcoat, has not, I believe, proved a practical success for distinguishing the different internal sounds. It might serve as a quick means of discovering if there was any heartbeat in the case of an apparent death. I have seen it used for this purpose, but from inquiries I do not find that it has come into any general use. This mechanical stethoscope is much simpler than an electric one would be, so that there does not seem a reliable foundation for these repeated reports regarding them. I think the case is very similar to one I had knowledge of some years ago. I had made up an electrical device by which the cries of an infant in its cot would automatically ring an electric bell in the servants' quarters. I found it possible, but not a practical apparatus, to be left in the hands of domestic servants, and so I altered it to a loud-speaking telephone by which the cries could be heard at any distance. Having written a description of this suggested automatic alarm for one of the electrical journals, I was rather surprised when, two years later, a friend drew my attention to a description of it in a popular magazine, wherein it was stated that the apparatus was in everyday use in America, which I knew was not the case. Possibly the article was copied in some American journal from which it found its way again, in a slightly altered form, to a monthly magazine on this side, and on its way the misunderstanding had arisen. Another application of electricity has reference to the deposition of smoke and fog. It has long been well known that a hot body will repel dust particles in the air while a cold body will attract them. This is easily proved by a very simple experiment. If a globe of hot water and a globe of cold water be placed under a glass cover and some magnesium ribbon 
be burned inside the cover, it will be seen that the dust particles all gather on the cold globe while the heated one remains dust-free. It was found that if a platinum wire were heated by an electric current in the smoky air of a glass jar, the air became clear and the dust was quickly deposited on the inner surface of the jar. It was proved later that the same effect could be produced by electrifying the air, for a high-potential electrical discharge inside the jar soon cleared the air of dust. This has found a practical application in depositing the harmful fumes in lead works. As a dust-laden atmosphere is necessary for the formation of fogs, mists, clouds, or rain, it is evident that by electrifying the air and depositing the dust we should clear the atmosphere of fog. To do so in a wholesale fashion would doubtless cost a ransom, but Sir Oliver Lodge suggests that this might be done at important centers where the fog is most dangerous. While the principal of Birmingham University suggests this method, he does not believe it to be the right remedy any more than free meals and free doles are a sound remedy for the problem of poverty. But in the absence of a better remedy, it is worth a trial. Electricity has been applied in agriculture also. The origin of this latest plan is of interest. Professor Lemstorm of Sweden was making some electrical experiments to imitate the aurora borealis. He made these in his greenhouse, and he observed that the plants in the neighborhood of his apparatus seemed to thrive exceptionally well. This led him to try the effect of similar high-tension discharges upon fields of growing grain. The necessary current is now obtained by means of a dynamo and induction coil, and the discharge is made from a network of wires erected over the field. The appearance is that of several rows of telegraph poles, there being about 100 yards between each row. The wires on these carry the main charge, while finer wires connect the parallel wires together every 12 yards. Wheat grown under electric discharges has yielded an increase of 30 and 40 percent more than that from part of the same field unelectrified. The wires may be placed about 15 feet above the ground, and the poles are so far apart that there is no difficulty in carrying on the ordinary work of the field. The cost of supplying the necessary current, apart from the first cost of the installation, is very small. It, practically, means the cost of running a small oil engine or other motor for driving the dynamo. End of chapter 13